You are listening to TanakhStudy.com. My name is Jonathan Snowbell, and we are in the fifth installation of Parshat Beha'alotcha. We reached the halfway point of Parshat Beha'alotcha, where a turning point occurred. We read about the first complaint of B'nai Israel, and now we will be reading about their second and lengthy complaint in the 11th chapter in Pasuk Dalad. The Asafsuf is tra- translated, the rabble who were among them had greedy desires, and also the sons of Israel wept again and said, Who will give us meat to eat? What is the etymology of this word, Vehasafsuf? We can make various suggestions as to its meaning, but the context of the verse makes it clear. The verse begins by describing the behavior of the Asafsuf, and then moves on to describe the behavior of B'nai Israel, making it clear that the Asafsuf is not B'nai Israel. Rashi and Ibn Ezra mention that the Asafsuf are the Erev Rav. This, of course, refers to Vigam Erev Rav Alayitam in Shmot chapter 12, verse 38, that we read on Pesach, which describes the exodus from Egypt. Also, in that context, it is clear that Erev Rav is a separate entity from B'nai Israel. That leads us to a very simple question. If Erev Rav is a term already used in the Torah, and the Erev Rav is the Asafsuf, why does the Torah use a different term to describe them? This is only confusing us. Hopefully, this will become apparent as we learn this section, not in today's section, but in tomorrow's section. The apparent claim <clears throat> is a lack of meat, and let us continue reading the complaint now. Verse 5. <laughs> We remember the fish which we used to eat free in Egypt, the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. But now our appetite is gone. There's nothing at all to look at except this man. Now the man was like a coriander seed, and its appearance like that of a bedellium. The people would go about, gather it, grind it between two millstones, or beat it in the mortar, and boil it in the pot, and make cakes with it, and its taste was as the taste of cakes baked with oil. When the dew fell on the camp at night, the mana, the man, would fall with it. Now Moshe heard the people weeping throughout their families, each man at the door of his tent. And the anger of Hashem was kindled greatly, and Moshe was displeased. As we continued reading, we saw that the complaint is a broader one. Not just meat, fish, and a variety of vegetables. As we continue further, the complaint is not just about what they are lacking or missing, 
but what about what they actually have, a complaint against the man. Are B'nai Israel's complaint truly about the food deficiencies or about something deeper? Let us pose several questions that undermine the simple reading of the text. The first two are from the immediate context of what we are reading. The term in verse 8, Asher nochal b'mitraim chinam, free, is someone charging them for the man that they eat in the wilderness? In verse 10, it says, They cry according to their families, or with their families. How do the families figure into this complaint? Now let's broaden our lens with two questions from the broader context. Why are Bnei Israel even lacking meat? According to Shemot chapter 16, Bnei Israel received a man in the morning and slav, quail, in the evenings. As a spoiler, this question will become even more pointed when we read the continuation of our chapter. God's answer to the request for meat is to give them quail. Number two, if Bnei Israel are now finally traveling towards Eretz Israel, what is the point about complaining about the food? In a short amount of time, they will be out of the desert and in Eretz Israel. Is it worth it to complain about these temporary conditions? Number three, in Egypt they were slaves, so perhaps their food was even better, but they were enslaved. Does a convict pine to be in prison because the food is better? With regard to the question of the availability of meat and understanding this chapter in light of what we already learned in Sefer Shemot, the Ramban makes the following suggestions in his commentary. One, he alludes to a possibility that the meat that was given in Shemot was limited in time and came to an end, leading to Bnei Israel complaining here for meat. However, the Ramban rejects the suggestion and says that they received the quail from that point onwards with the man. Number two, he makes a different suggestion. He tries to prove from the verses in Shemot that the meat that they received at that point in time was minimal. It did not fill them. The lechem, the man, was described as lisboa, satiating, but the basar, the meat, was le'echol. That would be congruent with the term that opens this section, hitavu ta'ava, which we translated greedy desires. They had something, but they wanted more of it. Number three, he claims that only certain groups received the meat, the more righteous, perhaps, or perhaps the more powerful, and now everyone wanted meat. The Ramban's answers are plausible, some are more convincing possibilities in the verses and some conjectural, but the question seems to be better than the answers and point to something deeper. The commentaries were sensitive to something happening beneath the surface. Rashi claims that free, that we mentioned earlier, is not about payment, but free of mitzvot. B'nai Yisrael are yearning for what they had when they had no commandments. In this vein, on the term le mishpechotav, he brings an opinion from the rabbis that they were crying about the prohibitions of sexual relations with family members. We can add to these claims the assumption that B'nai Israel, as is provable in verses in Sefer Yoshua and more so in Sefer Yechezkel, were idol worshippers in Egypt. They have now been placed in a very tight order with strict rules and regulations, living with this new reality has become a burden for them. The Chizkuni explains the term chinam to mean without effort and with no cost. Slaves are meant to work hard, but their food is provided for. While the man had no cost, it was not effortless. This brings us to the verses we just read. 
Most of the commentaries view the verses describing the man, starting in verse number 7, as a contrast to Bnei Israel's complaint. Bnei Israel complained, but in fact the man, the man was praiseworthy. According to what we are suggesting, verse 8 is the focal point of the description of the man, and it describes the toil with regard to the man, and then it in fact is part of or echoing the complaint of Bnei Israel. Let us see how much toil was involved in eating the man. Shatu, the Torah says. They had to go out and seek the man. As the explicit verses in Shemot chapter 16 describe, the man fell around the camp in the desert, not at their doorsteps, as certain Midrashim give the impression. Vilaketu, they had to collect the man. The man is seeds, as the verses here and in Shemot state. Not a nice warm loaf of angel bread that parachuted from heaven. Seeds. Vitachanu, seeds are not eaten as they, as they are, even if they are edible. They need to be prepared. First, made into flour. They're grinded. Uvishlu ve'asu oto ugot, they now need to be cooked or baked. This is a drawn out process. However, it's a normal in all pre-modern societies that fed themselves and did not go to a supermarket to buy food. However, with one significant difference that is described in Shmot, all parts of the process were part of a daily routine. Nothing was left over till the next day. While in a normal agricultural society there is hard work, but one collects wheat at harvest time and stores that wheat or flour that is subsequently grinded from the wheat. Even if one bakes daily, they do so with the knowledge that there is food and they need not worry what they will eat tomorrow or work hard on a daily basis to have basic ingredients. In the desert, B'nai Israel were forbidden to store or save food from day to day and if they tried to, it rotted. To this end, the verse in Dvarim chapter 8 states, he afflicted you and starved you and fed you with the man which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of Hashem. Two important points as an intermediate summary. Eating the man was an arduous, difficult process that left one working hard with nothing left in the pantry or the fridge at the end of the day. It was not a pleasant situation, as the verse in Dvarim says. The situation was only going to improve in Eretz Yisrael. So why complain? Why not bite the bullet for a few more short weeks? They've been out of Egypt for over a year. Now they're, go now they're going to break down? As the verse in Dvarim stated, the real message of the man was the educational message, dependence on God. As opposed to the man itself, which was limited in time, this message is an, an, an eternal one. And here is the crux of the matter. The educational message that the man was sending was getting through, and it was making Bnei Israel uneasy. In Egypt, Bnei Israel were slaves, but as previously mentioned, they worshipped idols. Idol worship in the Torah's perspective, as detailed in Vayikra chapter 18, goes hand in hand with an immoral existence. 
So they were slaves, but their existence and survival and the food that they ate clearly did not depend on leading a morally regimented lifestyle. Upon leaving Har Sinai and receiving the Torah with all of its laws, B'nai Israel became overwhelmed by the extent of their dependence on God for everything and the commitment to God that it demanded. This was not going to stop when they arrived in Eretz Yisrael. This, in fact, was probably going to intensify. This then brings on the complaint about food, the quote-unquote utopic state in Egypt, which under the surface is not at all about food, but about something so much deeper. This then brings on Moshe's harsh and untypical response, which is understandable, but perhaps is a turning point in Moshe's leadership. And we now continue with verse 11. Vayomer Moshe el Adonai, Lama hareota leavdecha, Velama lo matati hen berinecha, Lasum et massa kol haam haze alai. He anuchi hariti et kol haam haze, im anuchi ileditiu, Kitomar elai saeu vehekecha, Kasher isa haumen et hayonek, alha adama shenish bartala votav. Me ainli basar la tet la kol haam haze, kiv ku alai le mor. So Moshe said to Hashem, Why have you been so hard on your servant? And why have I not found favor in your sight that you have laid the burden of all this people on me? Was it I who conceived all this people? Was it I who brought them forth that you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries a nursing infant to the land which you swore to their fathers? Where am I to get meat to give all this people? For they weep before me saying, give us meat that we may eat. I alone am not able to carry all this people because it is too burdensome for me. So if you are going to deal thus with me, please kill me at once if I have found favor in your sight, and do not, not let me see my wretchedness. These verses that we just read describe a complete meltdown. Moshe feels that he cannot carry the burden of the nation, lo uchal, but more than that, he does not want the burden. As opposed to his famous words in the aftermath of the sin of the golden calf, where Moshe tells God, either forgive the people or erase me from your books, here Moshe seems to be quitting. He cannot do it anymore. What has changed? Moshe has fielded so many complaints before, arguably much worse situations. No water, no food. Now they want extra food. Is this merely the straw that broke the camel's back, or is there something fundamentally different here? A brief review of B'nai Israel's complaints points to one significant factor that is missing in our case. All the complaints till this point, justified or not, dealt with properly by B'nai Israel or not, addressed an actual lacking or difficulty that arose at a given time. The Egyptians closing in on them at the sea, the lack of water at Marah, the lack of food in Midbar Tzin, the lack of water at Masao Merivah, Moshe's disappearance prior to the sin of the golden calf. But what has transpired here? What is lacking? With regard to the complaint of the mit'oninim at the beginning of the chapter, 
which we learned in the previous section, the Torah doesn't even justify it with a description of the content of the complaint. With regard to our current complaint, it appears to be a lack of meat. But this is not a new situation. Whatever they had in the meat category before, as we discussed earlier, they have now. What is the impetus at this point in time to complain about the meat? B'nai Israel's life has only improved in the wilderness. No, lo- no lack of water or food. And now their camp is well set up, protected, and they are on their way to Eretz Israel. Until now, Moshe could question the way they complain, but the situation for, for which they complained was understandable. He was ready to put himself out for them. But this complaint shows a deeper problem. Complaining as a way of life, perhaps revealing ever so subtly what we tried to claim earlier. Life in Eretz Israel, dependence on God, creates a real problem for B'nai Israel. What is a subtle subtext, perhaps it's even subconscious in this week's Parsha, will explode to explicit and conscious feelings in next week's Parsha at the sin of the spies, when life in Eretz Yisrael is rejected by Bnei Yisrael. Moshe, sensing this deeper problem, reacts frustrated. He can try to solve their problems when they are lacking something, but if they are fighting the system, he does not know what to do anymore. Which we read in verse 15, Rashi comments on the unusual use of the word at, you, in a feminine form as opposed to ata. However, he says that this refers not to God, who Moshe is addressing, but to himself. Rashi comments, Tashash kocho shel Moshe kanekeva. Moshe lost his strength and was lowered to the physical strength of a woman. Moshe in this episode is not the Moshe we have known till this point, and we have attempted to explain why and where his frustration stems from. God's answer to Moshe is twofold. Verse 16. <speaking in Hebrew> Hashem therefore said to Moshe, Gather for me seventy men from the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and their officers, and bring them to the tent of meeting, and let them take their stand there with you. Then I will come down and speak with you there, and I will take of the Spirit who is upon you, and will put upon them. And they shall bear the burden of the people with you, so that you will not bear it all alone. If Moshe says that he cannot lead the people alone, God offers him a solution, the 70 elders. Due to a lack of time, I will briefly raise some questions in this regard, questions that will not be solved here. Why is Moshe alone? Weren't the elders mentioned numerous times throughout Shemot? Additionally, didn't Moshe at Yitro's sage advice enact a system in which Moshe was surrounded by others who helped him govern the people? Where is the secondary leadership? Why is Moshe alone? Or why does he feel alone? On the verse earlier in this chapter, in the previous complaint, where fire spreads, literally on the edge of the camp, Rashi quotes two opinions as to who was killed. One is the Erev Rav, the non-Israelite entity that we previously mentioned, 
that left Egypt but dwelled at the edge of the camp because they were not part of the patrilineal, line, patrilineal lineage of B'nai Israel. But Rashi quotes Rabbi Shimon ben Menasya that Biktsei Hamachana is a play on words that refers to the Ktsinim Shebahem Uvagdolim, the officers, the heads of the nation. In other words, it was the leadership that was struck down in the previous complaint. This explanation, if adopted, would explain Moshe's loneliness. But this answer is too crucial and too necessary to be hidden in a wordplay and not addressed explicitly. The question of Moshe's loneliness, despite existing groups of leadership, will only get clarity at the end of Sefer Bemidbar and at the beginning of Sefer Dvarim. But it is important to raise and be aware of this question at this juncture. God's second response to Moshe addresses not the leadership question, but the actual complaint of B'nai Israel, the lack of meat. Back to verse 18. יען כי מאסתם את אדוני אשר בקרבכם, ותבכו לפניו לאמור, למה זה יצאנו ממצרים? Say to the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow, and you shall eat meat, for you have wept in the ears of Hashem, saying, Oh, that someone would give us meat to eat, for we were well off in Egypt. Therefore Hashem will give you meat, and you shall eat. You shall eat not one day, nor two days, nor five days, nor ten days, nor twenty days, but a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and become loathsome to you, because you have rejected Hashem who is among you and have wept before Him saying, Why did we ever leave Egypt? God immediately puts His finger on B'nai Israel's problems. You say you want meat, I'll give you meat, but I hear your true complaint. You have rejected God by once again saying, Why have we left Egypt? Moshe's respo- Moshe responds to God to God's twofold response, but only to the second claim. Once again, Moshe's response is shocking, uncharacteristic, and unrecognizable, so much so that this time he does not receive a sympathetic response from God, but a harsh one. Verse 21. Vayomer Moshe. But Moshe said, the people among whom I am are 600,000 on foot. Yet you have said, I will give them meat so that they may may eat for a whole month. Should flocks and herds be slaughtered for them to be sufficient for them? Or should all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them to be sufficient for them? And Hashem said to Moshe, is Hashem's power limited? Now you shall see whether my word will come true for you or not. On the surface, Moshe's incredulous response addresses the surface complaint of B'nai Israel. How can you promise the meat? This is impossible. And on that level, God's response to Moshe is on the mark. You don't think I can do this? 
This pair of words, atatireh, is reminiscent of God's, of Moshe's first incredulous response to God. When Moshe approached Pharaoh for the first time, and the response was the worsening of B'nai Israel's slavery conditions, Moshe complained bitterly to God. God responded, atatireh, now you will see. Here too, a much more experienced Moshe is answered with the same pair of words, atatireh, now you will see. This is a biting criticism. At the beginning, Moshe's incredulous response was understandable. He had very little experience. But after all you have been through, you doubt? Atatire. You Now you will see. It is possible. This is a possible and plausible read. Moshe failed at a test of faith. However, could it be that Moshe's response, which appears as a lack of faith in God, is in fact a lack of faith in B'nai Israel? And what if you give them meat? Moshe is claiming, all the meat and fish in the world, umatzalahem, will this satisfy them? Is that really what is behind their words? If that is really what is behind Moshe's response, then God's response appears to be off the mark. However, perhaps God is telling Moshe that if I am willing to continue engaging them and educating them by giving them what they asked for, but teaching them a lesson, you as the leader has to be willing as well. Hayad Hashem Tikzar, then this is not a lack of faith in God's ability to bring quantities of meat, but in God's educational approach. In this, the tables have turned. Moshe is supposed to be the patient one, protecting B'nai Israel from God's anger. God is prepared to continue engaging, albeit in a harsh way, but Moshe is not willing. So what we have read and learned in today's section is the continuing of the unraveling of the order that was established at the beginning of Sefer Bemidbar. Our read of the verses point to a deep problem in B'nai Israel, a, a failure to mature and make the necessary adaptations towards a responsible life of serving God and working hard in Eretz Israel. They complain, but not because anything is missing, but because they are just not on board. Recognizing this on some level, Moshe, our patient and educating leader, who is willing to sacrifice himself for B'nai Israel, seems to be alone, frustrated, and unable and or unwilling to lead the people anymore. The conclusions of, this, of the episode of the 70 elders and the episode of the meat and one more unraveling episode we will learn in the sixth and final installation of Parshat Behalotecha.